Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, Episode 12, Powhatan Uprising. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you want to support the show, then there are several things you can do, such as leaving an iTunes review or signing up for membership, giving you access to the exclusive premium feed. Special thanks this week to our newest pioneer, listener Gareth, and also to everybody who sent me congratulations over the past few days. I mentioned back in the pilot episode that I have an MA in Classics and Ancient History, a master's degree. And I do, I finished in the summer, but I've only just got back my results, my degree classification, and I found out on Monday, about an hour after I finished recording the episode, that I got a distinction, which is the top grade. It means 70% plus, and it's the equivalent of a first-class degree at undergraduate. So I've received a ton of congratulations from you guys, and thank you so much, it means a lot. But enough about me. Last time out was a departure from the norm, as we broke out of the narrative to discuss social history. What was life like for the early colonists in Virginia circa 1620? It seems from the reception that I've got that you guys quite like this style, uh, that you enjoyed the episode, which is good, uh, so we'll be doing more stuff like that in the future. Though, now that we've discussed it for the 1620s, I want to get back to the narrative this time out, and talk about what I had intended to cover last time, the 1622 Powhatan Uprising. Virginia had been at peace since 1614, and the marriage between John Rolfe and Pocahontas. This had allowed the English to have food, they could properly explore the continent, and, as we've seen over the past few episodes, the driving force of tobacco was leading to thousands of new acres being farmed up the James River. Wahonsonacock was less of an influence in these years, and he died in 1618. While there was a technical succession system within the Powhatan Confederacy, supposedly a Pitchapam succeeded Wahonsonacock. Effectively, power transferred to Opinchankinoff. This led to an even closer relationship between the Powhatans and the English. While he had made treaties, Wahonsonacock was always distant from the English. The English educated native children in their settlements, and the two groups grew closer and closer. When man of note George Thorpe arrived in 1620, he encouraged that more be done to continue to civilise the Powhatans. This was reflected in the company's next choice of governor to replace Yeardley, Sir Francis Wyatt, in 1621. Wyatt further pushed for unity between the Powhatans and the settlers, stressing that no harm should be done to them. But considering I've already referred to the 1622 Powhatan uprising a couple of times now, it should be clear that things are about to go wrong. Why? English arrogance. I've complained previously about assumed simplicity in our sources, but this is just one facet of the arrogance the Europeans had. They were condescending to the Powhatans. The talk was of friendship when they really wanted conquest. 
for all the talk of them being one power tan and English nation, that didn't mean very much when thousands were travelling to Virginia as the plantations started pushing up the James, forcing out Powhatans who had been living there for generations. The Powhatans were paying tribute to the Virginians, and were generally treated like a subject people, not like partners. This is something we will see a lot with our narrative. The situation was untenable for the Powhatans, but what were they going to do about it? They couldn't do nothing... They were being pushed off their land and slowly worn down by the English, who were growing even stronger. There was the possibility of a frontal assault, but their early conflicts with the English made them realise that this would end in disaster. They couldn't match English firepower, so they instead played the long game. It's not known at what point exactly the Powhatans decided to pursue this policy, but it's quite possible that Oppenchenkinov came to this conclusion as early as 1614, when he was signing the peace agreement. So, what would this long game involve? If they couldn't attack the English from the outside, they would have to attack the English from within. This would involve integrating themselves with the English, working their way slowly into the colony, and then waiting for the perfect moment to attack. This was difficult. Oppenchankanov had to ignore many insults to his honour. He had to not act when one of his best warriors was killed. He had to let the English settle wherever they wanted. He had to wait. The English were completely convinced by this deception, and Thorpe, who acted as a go-between in negotiations, was delighted to discover, in 1622, that Oppenchankanov was planning to convert to Christianity. This would be an even bigger coup than converting Pocahontas. The English were so excited that they began to miss things. They didn't read the significance of Oppenshankanov changing his name, and they didn't notice him building an alliance of Native Americans hostile to the English. This brings us to the fateful morning of Friday, March 22nd, 1622. The morning was just like any other. It was a crisp spring day. The settlements along the James began to stir as people woke up. They would begin to head into the fields to get to work on their trades. Nothing was out of the ordinary. It seemed that today would be a busy day for the traders, as a group of Powhatans gathered by one of the plantations. This had happened a hundred times before. No doubt the English recognised almost all of the Powhatans, and probably knew most of them by name. Then, they made their way in. They walked into the fields, they walked into people's houses. They found families at the table eating breakfast. And then they started killing. Men, women, children, none were spared. On that day, 347 colonists were killed. Many plantations, or hamlets, were wiped out. Henrico was completely destroyed. When he heard of the commotion, Thorpe went out to greet them. We have an eyewitness account that he went to see them, supremely confident that he had misunderstood something. These were his friends. He was dead before he realised that they even meant him harm. Over half the English settlements were attacked, mostly those upriver, 
those further downriver had received warning the night before that something was going to happen, and Wyatt had managed to prepare his defences. The aims of the operation were to sweep the English into the sea. This hadn't quite happened. Many settlements remained intact, such as Jamestown, but they burned down Henrico, killing a quarter of the settlers and devastating the colony. It was quite possible that what was intended next... Since Opinchankinov never really expected to destroy the English in a single day, was to starve the English out and make life miserable, exactly as had almost happened in the starving time of 1609-1610. It was, all in all, a rather brilliant piece of strategy. Word of what happened reached London in the summer of 1622, and no one could really believe just what had happened. The company blamed the moral failings of the settlers, and then set about practically fixing the problem. They wrote to the government inquiring about old weapons which were stored in the Tower of London. They were hopelessly out of date and would be useless in any European engagement, but against the power sands they would be quite useful. The king gave them to the company as a royal gift. There were some bows and arrows, some old muskets and pistols some halberds, and some armour. There was to be no talk of abandoning the expedition or the settlement. To do so would be an insult to the dead. They would send over new colonists. They would restart their production of goods. The only thing to change was there could now be no peace with the Powhatans. They must be destroyed. Not that the Virginians needed to be told this. Governor Wyatt wrote, quote, Our first work is expulsion of the savages to gain free range of the country, for it is infinitely better to have no heathen among us, who at best were as thorns in our sides, than to be at peace and league with them. The English launched raids against all the tribes the Powhatans, the Pamunkes, the Wayanoks, the Chickahominis, the Kiofkahanoks, the Rarasoyaks, the Nansimons, and the Rappahannocks. They destroyed villages, burnt fields, and took corn. This was more a war of attrition than of combat. There were relatively few casualties on both sides. For all the English attacks, the worst damage had been done by Opinjankanov. The English lost almost all of their allies, and the colony entered a second starving time in winter. It is thought that between the spring of 1622 and the spring of 1623, a thousand colonists died. This was brutal. Things changed in April 1623, when a very odd event happened. Word came that the Powhatans were ready for peace. A formal offer for a meeting with Opinchapam came in May. This was very interesting. For instance, why the meeting with Opinchapam and not Openchankanov. No one had heard from Openchankanov in a year. Had he been forced out? Maybe the anti-war party had pushed him out of power, which is why Opinchapam was making the meeting. Or maybe this was a trick to try and get the English to think that, and they were trying to lure the English into an ambush. The English had no intention of making a deal, but they did meet with Opinchapam, They promised friendship, and then they poisoned him and 200 others. We don't know how many died exactly, 
but the English also fired at the Powhatans, which almost certainly did some damage. They failed to kill both Upinchapam and Upinchankanoff, and so the war continued throughout the summer of 1623. Then, through winter, and into the next year, a battle was finally fought in July 1624, when 800 Powhatan bowmen, in addition to allies, met about 60 armoured Englishmen. The Powhatans had been wise to avoid a pitched battle, and engaging was a mistake. The battle continued for two days, but the Powhatans were simply unable to overcome English firepower. It would be years before they were finally defeated, but this spelled the end for the Powhatan Confederacy. But we can deal with that in the future. The English would win the war, but it's fair to say that the early 1620s had been a complete disaster for Virginia. Disease and the hard conditions were still a huge problem causing so many deaths. English frailties had been exposed by the Powhatan uprising. But what were those weaknesses? What had happened? What had gone wrong? Edwin Sandys, who I've mentioned fairly often throughout the show, had been placed in charge of the Virginia Company in 1619, taking over from Sir Thomas Smith. His brother George, meanwhile, was stuck in the restlessness of middle age. He travelled around Europe and the Holy Land, and the classicist in me needs to note that he published a translation of Ovid's Metamorphoses. Following this, he travels to Virginia and decided to write back to his brother Edwin on what had been going on. He shared his brother's distaste for tobacco, but George saw the settlement pattern as the biggest issue facing the colony. They were all spread out along the James River, and so were impossible to govern. This also made them vulnerable to attack, as Opinchenkinov had so ably demonstrated. George thought that these issues could be fixed if the company knew what was going on, so he wrote back to Edwin, but the letters were intercepted by a royal commission which had been set up to investigate the company's management of Virginia. Since Edwin took command of the Virginia Company, infighting had gotten a lot worse in the company's hierarchy, and these divisions led to damning stories coming out. A faction which opposed Sandys petitioned for a royal investigation, and a royal commission was set up in May 1623, the Jones Commission in addition to another commission, which would personally investigate conditions in Virginia. While Sandy's enemies had exaggerated, the commission found, well, what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Everything was a total mess. There was no diverse economy, just tobacco. The colony was defenceless against the locals, and they had sent literally thousands of people to their deaths, through disease and malnutrition. In February 1625, there were only 1,095 people in Virginia. 7,549 had made the voyage. That is a survival rate of 14.5%. There wasn't a good way to spin this. In the summer of 1623, the Jones Commission concluded that the colony was in danger of collapse and the king instructed the Attorney-General to dissolve the company. In November, 
The company was instructed to provide legal reasons for why they should still control the company, but they were unable to do so while a legal battle dragged on. Finally, on May 24th, 1624, the Virginia Company was dissolved and control of the expedition was given to the Crown. Virginia was entering a new era, something confirmed in March 1625, when James I died and his son, Charles I, came to power. It will be this new era that we get into next time. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you want to support the show, then you can do so by either leaving an iTunes review or by signing up for membership at the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, follow me on Twitter, at HistoryJamie, and send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you in two days when we continue our rapid-fire series of episodes, and thank you for listening. Thank you.